Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Moist Madness. Thank you very much to John Nessie on Twitter for suggesting that title. I only picked it because I know people hate that word. Uh, We also have some runners-up. Tim Haynes suggests that we should use the words of Danny Kaye. It was a horror movie with a bit of a black comedy out there. And Skunk Ape also suggests I bless the rains down in Hockenheim, I think in order to fully do justice to that musical title suggestion, I'll have to introduce my co-host, Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I bless the rains down in Hockenheim. Okay. Uh, yeah. There I, you go. It was as bad as I could make it to avoid copyright infringement. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. See, that's, that's you show running, looking after the show. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I want to ask my co-host, Matt, a question. Matt? Can you imagine, can you just imagine being a media outlet that after the French Grand Prix said that F1 was broken, boring and needed to be fundamentally changed? Can you imagine being a media outlet that did that? Um, I probably could imagine. As it turns out in my lengthy life, I may have made a mistake or two. But boy, would I have hate to have been that particular media outlet, particularly if we didn't just own the mistake immediately and say, yeah, you know what? We may have jumped to the odd conclusion there. More on that later. But we have had three absolutely stonking rounds of entertainment in the F1 calendar. There's no way, Matt, that we're going to be able to get through all of this in the show. So if we do miss stuff, I think we'll we'll pick it up in the Patreon podcast that we'll probably record late tomorrow night. But I'm pretty relaxed, Matt. We're not going to cover everything. And I think in a in a scenario like this, it, we're not going to cover everything correctly. Well, we will do our best to be reasonably accurate, but it's never been our brief to chronologically review each lap and make note of each position. And so I feel comfortable that we will get the idea of the race across to our listeners. Okay, good. So I think a good plan would be just to recap the phases of 
the reign, the phases of the tyre choices that were faced. And then we'll we'll go through the podium, I think in podium order. And because there was a lot of people that suddenly popped up and you went, oh, well, where did they come from? Uh, we'll go through all of that. But first, I'd like to remind you that we are an independent podcast brought to you from the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by racing driver man Bradley Philpott and Kyle Power, who is, in fact, a scientist. Brad Philpott, welcome back to The Shed. It's been a while. Thanks for having me back. It has been a while, but I'm very lucky to be here after a very exciting race. And Kyle, you were shaking your head. Are you not a scientist? That's the only reason I like you. Not exactly, no. It's, it's incorrect. I'm more of an engineer. Ah, well, we like engineers here. Brad, as our racing driver expert, VLN uh, class champion, uh, you are perfectly poised to tell us the different challenges the drivers might have faced in the wet. And actually, it's been a long time since we've had a, a proper wet race, a proper wet start. So we kind of have forgotten what the drivers are faced with. Was, was the last one, Verstappen, in Brazil, was that the last properly wet race? Wow, I couldn't I couldn't tell you for sure what the proper what the um, actual last one was, but yeah, I've got a lot of experience of driving in the rain on tracks in Germany, uh, and I'll be happy to give you my view on that uh, at this particular track, um, which had a lot of danger and trepidation and barriers that were close enough for people to make contact with. So, what challenges were the guys facing in particular in, in a wet race in a Formula One car in an in an Aero series? is that I guess online is no, the normal racing line isn't the preferred line, but there was lots of different lines out there. So there was a lot of times it looked like a car was going for a lunge and it's just because they had a different preferred line. Yeah, let me list off just a few of the challenges they were facing. They're driving obviously very fast cars with no driver aids, except for maybe power steering. They're driving cars which are not set up specifically for the rain, quite the opposite in fact, because they can't make that many changes uh, in between qualifying in the race. They're driving on not particularly great wet tyres. Whatever people say about the Pirellis, you could just see that those full wets were not performing brilliantly. And like you mentioned, you've got varying grip levels on different parts of the track. You might have a dry section uh, as you're passing someone, and then as you get to the braking zone, your part's wet and their part's dry. There's so many different challenges, um, and finding the ideal line, like you mentioned, is one of them. Hey, Brad, can I ask you a question about that? Um, I think the cars were required to start on full wets under the regulations, uh, but I'm not convinced that the conditions called for it. What, I mean, looking at the race, what did you think? Do you think they should have been given a free choice to start on enters there? Uh, I mean, they were, again, restricted by regulations, but. Yeah, it's one of those strange quirks that had me shouting at the TV today. I'm sure a lot of other people did as well, where the race is effectively being started under a safety car because they deem it too dangerous or um, the visibility is not good enough or whatever to to actually start the race normally. Yet the conditions are basically nearly ready for inters, if not immediately ready for inters. Um, So I couldn't tell you for sure whether the right tyre at the start of the race would have been an inter. There certainly wasn't a lot of standing water, was there? Um, And it's only really when you have the big puddles that those full wets are appropriate. So yeah, I, I couldn't tell you for sure, but the full wets looked extremely skaty. The drivers looked like they were really tiptoeing around, particularly the stadium section. And just to follow up on that, then if you were full wets and enters conditions, would you normally get that kind of skatiness? Or are you just saying that they should never skate like that regardless? Yeah, well, you're right. 
if the tires start to, you know, the full wets start to overheat because they're, they are out of their operating range and the tread blocks are moving around too much. You're right. They will skate around a bit, but it just looked to me like they just weren't, they weren't quite what I would expect from some other brands of tire. I don't just want to slate the Pirelli's, but, um, they don't get a lot of development time, do they? On uh, with a, a current Formula One car um, with the top drivers on the wet tires, it just doesn't happen that often. Um, so it's it's kind of expected that they're not going to be the best possible tire. I think it's also compounded the wet tire tri- uh, struggles with uh, a full tank of fuel as well. I couldn't believe how much they were tiptoeing on the first laps. It just shows the lack of mechanical grip that they had. It's quite astonishing. Uh, Kyle, what did you think about the starting underneath the safety car? There was a lot of panic, wasn't there, on social media because everyone thought, oh, no, we're going to have basically a, a rolling start. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was screaming at the TV saying, no, please don't do a rolling start. But luckily, and kudos to the FIA and the rule makers, um, they put the rule in where they'll now change to go for a standing start. And if you saw the amount of um, standing water actually on the proper start, it was the right decision. Get a couple of laps under the belts, lift some of that water off the track, which then brought it straight into interzone. But yeah, I think they made the right call. All right, Kyle, let's start off uh, with qualifying to start with. It feels like a lifetime ago but it was a fairly regular qualifying compared to today's race. But it, it, was, it was a crazy qualifying. Yeah, I'm struggling to remember it after my brain is full of information. But no, it was, um, it, it was quite exciting qualifying. Um, one of the standout points for me was the Honda engine. The Tour Rosos were quickest in a straight line. That was looking quite good. Um, Ferrari obviously had a very buttery ball and they managed to drop it, but they passed it to Mercedes for today. Yeah. Um, and Hamilton's lap was brilliant. Bottas's performance arguably mediocre and great performance from Verstappen still struggling with a bit of turbo lag okay Matt you are our oracle when it comes to the difference between p3 and final grid positions did you expect a Ferrari front row lockout because that seemed to be the general consensus was they were they were going to be a front row lockout but because they dropped the ball with reliability they lost out I'll be honest with you I expected Leclerc on pole because a half a second was simply too much time for Mercedes to make up. Unfortunately, we absolutely didn't get to find out whether or not that would have been the case because his Ferrari, well, um, <clears throat> stopped working. <laughs> so uh, shout out to the crew over at Love Sport Radio, who for their sins keep inviting me on for my opinion. But is this a case again, Matt, of a Ferrari just not paying enough attention to reliability? I said on I said on Love, Love Sport, Love Talk Radio that... Ferrari's lack of attention to reliability has really stung them over the last three years. And I think, in fact, it means that now that their development is slipping away, we're not going to see another Ferrari win this season. We don't have to argue that right now. And that the next win was going to be a Red Bull. I didn't think it would come so quickly. But Ferrari really do drop the ball when it comes to performance versus reliability. And that's what we saw in qualifying in Hockenheim. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that uh, Bonato came out and said that neither failure was one that had been seen in all of their testing, either on the bench or in real life. And they were two entirely separate things. Uh, it was a fuel pump, I believe, for Leclerc that put him out. And then there was an issue with maybe the intercooler or the turbo, whatever it was. It didn't require a new turbo for Vettel, so there was no penalty there. But it was something that was not fixable within the confines of an 18-minute uh, Q1 session, which is uh, where yeah. it pretty much popped up for him. 
Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking for Ferrari fans. I know they've somewhat made up for it. Kyle, uh, we just need to confirm that uh, our regular panellist, Nick Alexander, is safe. I haven't heard from him personally, uh, but he tends to to come on when there's Ferrari disasters. He's not on this week, but if you're a Ferrari fan, after Q3, you must have just been head in, head in your hands. I, like, I, even the most avid Ferrari hater wasn't happy about that. We weren't relishing in Ferrari doing that badly. We need them in, in this in the context of this season. Yeah, um, I think for the sport we need them. We need them there for the for the sake of competition. I mean, we didn't know it was going to be a crazy wet race, so for the sake of competition, I felt really bad for for Vettel and both Leclerc because I, I thought it was looking like it was going to be a Mercedes steamroller minus Verstappen. But 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 yeah, yeah, you want Ferrari in there for the sport as much as I don't like to say it. And let's not forget, even Toto Wolff was bemoaning the lack of Ferrari, saying, look, we need real racing at the front. They look like they've brought it. We're on the back foot. And it's a shame that the fans are going to be potentially robbed of this epic battle, which is what we all watch Formula One for. So I will clarify slightly before anyone jumps down my throat. We we need a a Ferrari-level competitor at the top. It doesn't nest, not just because it's Ferrari, Matt. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Ferrari. It could be Red Bull, could be McLaren, could be Haas. Hey, it could be Williams. I mean, let's face it, they wound up scoring points, but we'll get to that later. I did want to say, you know, you're harping on about Ferrari reliability, and you're not wrong, but with Bonato just in charge for a season, think about McLaren, and it's been, what, two seasons with Zach Brown, and they're finally starting to get on top of their process. There's probably a lot of very baked-in bureaucratic processes that they were in the middle of pruning um, when all of this change at the top of Ferrari happened. So I think it's important, while you can ding Ferrari for having antiquated processes that don't properly vet their reliability, I think it's maybe too soon to start throwing Bonato under the bus as those changes are still underway. Yeah, there's this culture in Ferrari of uh, heads heads rolling, and that's what can breed mistakes. Because then people are constantly looking looking after, well, looking out for their own backs rather than the um, rather than the best interests of the team. So they need continuity. They need to keep Bonotto in there for a couple of seasons to allow stability. Then reliability will come. Uh, Brad, the chat room are saying to me that even I have to applaud Lance Stroll for getting into Q two. Do I, Brad? Do I have to applaud Stroll for getting into Q two? Didn't he only make it into Q2 because there were issues for other people? Um, and, and even then, his teammate made it through to Q3 and he wasn't close. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, but I just wanted you to say it rather than me so that you'd get the emails. You can email bradleyfilpot at com, and that will go through to a fictional email address. Matt? Um, well, if you wish to list them, Vettel, Alban, and Norris. And Stroll was P15, yes. So he did end up uh, finishing P14 in Q1. Is that right? I think it is, yeah. So uh, he was two above the elimination. So on pace, I think it is still fair to say that he qualified among the bottom five people on pure pace. I know people are going to give me a lot of stick for that. But yes, he did break the, the curse or the duck of not going into Q2. However, Perez then showed, Brad, that that was a Q3 car. So Stroll's not off the hook qualifying-wise. It's okay. I think I think all the Stroll fans have stopped listening anyway. Yeah, and I mean, we've got some more Stroll um, praise slash um, kind of telling everyone that he only got there because of other people's problems coming up a bit later in the show, I'm sure, as well, when we get to the final result. 
Uh, yes, but well done, Lance Stroll. If that's what you want to hear me say, if that's if that's what you need to hear, listeners, well done, Stroll, for getting into Q2. Uh, it was an absolutely fantastic race, so let's find out more about that as Matt tells us where the race was won and lost. Okay, Matt, this was a chaotic race. It was really hard to track, and I've started following the races on the live timing app. Right, So the live timing app was really useful in a lot of ways today. It was really useful for tracking people's positions and because someone would suddenly pop up and you go, well, where did they come from? And they've got the lap chart where lap by lap, you know, you can see a graph of people's positions. That was super handy. It was really handy seeing the tyre stops, which tyres people were on, how many tyre stops they'd had. But it wasn't handy for measuring the gaps. Normally in a dry race, we're watching and charting the the gaps build, grow, and and uh, hopefully being chewed down by somebody who's chasing them. That didn't really happen in this race because we didn't have time. Every time we got settled into a rhythm, someone was ahead, someone's chasing. There was another safety car, there was another incident, or the weather changed. It was just it was chaos, and that the app kind of came into its own in a lot of ways today. Yeah, I think combined we had a total of seven safety cars and virtual safety cars. <laughs> Oh, wow. And that was actually sort of one of my critical points. Um, obviously, the start was crucial because all of the contenders were required to start on the wet tire. And at the very first safety car, of course, we had many of them opting for the enters as it was pretty dry. And only a few, uh, Magnuson, I think chief among them, tried to stick it out on the wets till the next expected bout of rain arrived, which, of course, it didn't. Okay, so I think the the plan we had before the show was we were going to start at the end. So we are going to go to the podium finishers and beyond and see how they individually got there. But I think it's first it's important to kind of talk about the phases of the race and the phases of the weather and how that affected things. Well, fortunately, this works out very well for us because the weather uh, was one of my critical points. And what we had was the early rain drying till we got to about lap 19 where Magnuson opted to try the slicks. And then Vettel followed shortly after, around lap 22 or 23, I believe. And they were competitive with the enters. And this kicked off a great deal of fear at the top end of the field. And everyone wound up pitting pretty much, except for, um, by about lap 25, 26, except for Lewis Hamilton, who was left out because he was essentially already a... um, he was he he was left out and wound up coming in for the virtual safety car that happened around lap 28 and that was the start of the end of his race so in that first phase of pit stops Kyle a few of the a few of the guys took the what I like to call the the Jensen gamble the roll of the dice let's just do the opposite to what everyone else is doing yeah and it could have paid off if there hadn't have been two or three more phases of weather like that. They're trying to second guess. So as Matt said, it was, um, yeah, it was Magnuson. Stroll was actually one of them as well. He tried to stay out on the inters longer and then they all dived in and they tried the wets. Cause if you're back there with Vettel as well, they're, they're, they're nothing to lose. But unfortunately, the weather was only holding windows for about three or four laps at a time. Yeah. So, and this is where the weather interacts. So now we're into our, we've gone through a little drying phase and now the weather has picked up again and it's getting water into the stadium section and particularly turn 16 and 17, which claimed the majority of victims to today. And we have Hamilton being chucked out on 
brand new soft tires, unlike uh, Botas and, and Verstappen, where they were so confident about the weather, for reasons I do not understand, that they put them on the medium tire. And this was, um, uh, we'll get to his spin later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and this led to, I, I think, um, first uh, Leclerc, who was also on soft tires, putting it in the wall, and then Hamilton having a spin right as the safety car period is there. And this allowed our friend Max to jump him going into the pits a lap ahead of Botas. Yeah. Anyone keeping up out there in listener land, out there in viewer land? Brad, what are we missing? So I was just going to add to that that Leclerc going in the wall um, near the pit entrance came after he'd been driving around obviously behind the... It was a virtual safety car at that point, wasn't it? Um, And so it was kind of... I felt really bad for him because he didn't really make an enormous mistake there. He had cold, slick tires in really the inappropriate conditions. As you said, it was starting to get wetter in that section. And then you had that now infamous drag strip um, just off track that probably most of the drivers had no idea how slippery that would be when they got onto it. So it kind of made things all the worse. Okay, tell us what was so challenging about that drag strip track. Because as you say, all the incidents that went into it looked looked like nothing on the onboards. So it's essentially a completely smooth, not porous surface whatsoever, probably covered in rubber, uh, maybe even oil. Sometimes um, sometimes dragsters and, and other um, race cars put oil down actually to make the tyres softer, to make them more grippy. Um, it's a strange phenomenon, but it, it tends to work sometimes. But that means when it's wet, it is just absolutely treacherous. And as you saw from various people today, um, it was like a one-way ticket to the barrier once you got onto that with any kind of speed. Now, obviously, it was Leclerc, Hamilton, um, several other people, Hulkenberg, uh, all were caught out by that particular piece of drag strip. And yeah, oh, and on that drag strip, uh, um, Leclerc was the first person to to go what I've coined the phrase now, drag skating, to like the wall. <laughs> he did it on the, on the first few laps, but then I'm really surprised that the team bosses didn't tell their drivers because they've all seen this they've all seen people struggling i'm surprised they didn't tell their drivers it is treacherous on the outside of the last turn if you run wide don't try to be too too violent with getting back on the tracks you'll crash but nobody told them holkenberg said at the end of the race that he didn't know that it was that treacherous out there so he squirted the throttle and ultimately put himself in the wall actually we'll, we'll divert to that because we've got brad here and we've talked a lot about what to do in wet conditions in go-karts it looked like holkenberg just had no wheel rotation so the, the drivers all seem to approach that that incident in a different way so if we had hamilton leclerc and and holkenberg holkenberg took a very different tack he seemed to be the only one that almost hit, hit it straight on and he had all four wheels locked what was there any thinking behind that because from an amateur point of view you would think release the brakes get the wheels moving but he's nico hulkenberg he's a very experienced formula one driver why didn't he do that yeah so so just taking those three first of all leclerc locked the rear slightly arrived on that piece of tarmac just going too fast there was nothing he could have done differently so once he was onto it he was just understeering straight to the wall hamilton very similar thing he was just at a very slightly different angle so managed to glance off the wall just about and carry on but Um, Similar to Leclerc, once he was on that slippery surface, he was basically a passenger till he hit the wall. Hulkenberg, oh, sorry, and Raikkonen did just the right thing. Raikkonen got on it and was going slow enough and stayed off the throttle and then was very carefully on the throttle and managed to drive off just gently enough. Hulkenberg essentially had no idea how slippery it was. He got onto that piece of drag strip, 
going slow enough to recover. Unlike Hamilton and Leclerc earlier, Hulkenberg was going to be fine. But he then squirted the throttle, gave it a burst of, of acceleration. That then made him um, made, made sure he was going Not too fine. fast yeah. to then make the corner, make, the, make it back onto the track. He then understeered, realized he was going too fast, slammed the brakes on, locked up all four wheels. But once again, by that point, he was a passenger. But Hulkenberg ultimately caused his own downfall. Obviously, he didn't know it was going to be that bad, but he accelerated thinking he had enough grip and then suddenly he didn't. So it was very unfortunate. Obviously, what wasn't pictured in the transmission was uh, Bialzebub uh, sitting on the tyre of Nico Hulkenberg and saying, you remember, Nico, the deal we had. You will be handsome. You will be successful. You will have money and riches. But if you ever go into a podium position, you will hit the barrier. Why do you try and subvert our deal, Nico? Why? <laughs> anyway, I-, I think that happened. Anyway, I, I think it was in the, the TED post-race analysis. Matt, let's go back to the challenges that the drivers were facing. Obviously, the weather was a big part of it, uh, the the racing drag strip that everyone was spinning on. But I think one of the key ones in the race was the decision to go onto slicks off of intermediates seemed to be absolutely crucial. And a lot of teams got that wrong. I think the, the most stark one was Verstappen going onto mediums and just not being able to turn them on, not being able to find grip and then doing a full... 360 pirouette. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially um, FOMO, for lack of a better word. Uh, they see Magnuson on the slicks, and he's there or thereabouts. Oh, fear of missing out. FOMO. There's they, a lot of older... Our demographic's quite old, Matt. You have to explain trendy phrases. So, yeah, so, so they see Magnuson on the softs and go, ooh, we fancy a bit of that that tyre that tire grippiness. And then they see Vettel doing even better on that tyre at least in terms of time compared to the enters. And then they think, we are going to miss the window. We're going to hit a lap. Our enters will be burned, and they're going to make five or six seconds up on us. And before you know it, by lap 25, pretty much everyone but Hamilton has been in. And as you state, both Botas and Verstappen on the mediums, and they weren't the only ones. Could this be a case of Mercedes, like they did in Monaco a few years ago, of um, looking at their computer and their data and section times and not actually looking above what's above their head and looking out? Because just as they sent them out on slicks again, that's when it started to rain harder again. They had, particularly with Hamilton, they had a chance to not do that. Yeah, it struck me before in seeing how Formula One teams interact with meteorological forecasts that the forecasts are very, very specific. But that does not necessarily make them accurate. And I think they get fooled by that. There's a 32.76% chance that there will be rain in turn three in the next five minutes. And they're like, ooh, let's use that. But, but it's it, it might be specific, but it may not be all that accurate because weather is fundamentally chaotic as a system. Good. Yeah, it was interesting seeing that it was essentially an incredibly wet day, but there would be just the odd gap. And we seem to find ourselves in one of those gaps. Yeah, it's also how quickly it was drying as well as obviously the ambient temperature is obviously still very warm and it looked a bit blustery out there as well so that's why i was catching them out it would dry for like it would be slicks for one or two laps then rain again and then if you see how dry it was at the end you you, you would have barely guessed that it was a, re- a wet race to start all right well let's talk about the very very start kyle what was going on with the both the red bulls at the same time having absolutely shocking starts why yeah, maybe it's a lack of experience with the Honda and the mapping. They just had no grip. They just spanned the wheels, maybe a bit too much torque initially. But one trend I've noticed, the same with Austria, 
when Max starts second and gets a rubbish start, he tends to win. <laughs> Matt, I hate to correct Carl's grammar, but obviously it's um, they spinned the wheels. Uh, but carry on. Yeah, well, I was going to make the point that unlike certain other teams that have since been penalized, perhaps their race engineers did not call them and update their choice of uh, torque mapping for the start of the race. Uh, Matt, have we have we set the scene enough of how the race was won and lost? I mean, I don't know, and I'm more than willing to have people correct us. But there was just there was so much going on. I I really was reluctant to leave my chair to go and get a drink to go in a blute to do anything. It was it was incredible. Uh, yeah, I I pretty much spent uh, from the time I finished my article to the time we were basically uh, yelling about the show notes, literally just trying to document the correct order in which things happen so uh, so we could refer to it if we needed it. It was that complex a race. If I was going to bring up one more thing, it's going to be your favorite thing. And the thing that ultimately made the single biggest difference in the race was as the penultimate safety car was ending, Lance Stroll, or his very clever engineers, <laughs> and probably highly paid as well at Racing Point, decided that they would ditch the enters they put on at the start of the safety car period and strap on some softs and go racing. And that wound up being a crucial factor in the end of the race. Yeah. Um, just as they did the restart, it was a uh, Kvyat um, Magnussen pitted for the, for the slicks, but strolled it at the lap before. So he'd already caught up to the rest of the pack and had his tires up to temperature and just steamed through the pack. And then it was immediately on the restart that it was Kvyat and Magnussen that did it. And it just shows Magnussen must have, must have been struggling because they both come out, he'd come out like 14th and 15th, I think. And Magnussen was only two seconds behind Kvyat. And we know what Kvyat went on to do. Uh, Magnuson was actually pretty far up the field by the time everyone cycled through and followed suit. But unlike Viat and Stroll, he was not able to maintain that pace. And if we think about what Haas's main complaint is, what can we not keep? Temperature in the tires. And I think that's just another fantastic example of it. I mean, even I looked at his times compared to Grosjean, and Grosjean was like two seconds a lap faster. So mm. uh, let's all hear it for the Melbourne spec and hope that Haas get themselves figured out over the summer break. All right. Well, look, let, let's um, let's focus in a little bit on the podium finishes and how they got to where where they finished up. Uh, but first of all, Matt, uh, our, our fabulous co-host here on Missed Apex Podcast and the host and producer of E Radio Show Two, and uh, you know, just generally my podcasting brother in arms. We're starting new projects at Apex TV Pod on Twitter. We've been talking about the TV series Catch-22, and we're looking forward to uh, the new TV series Picard. Matt, I've, I've had somebody who's been uh, hounding me with emails, uh, commenting at me on Twitter, and now on Reddit as well, now that I'm an expert Redditor, who says that I am the worst thing about this podcast because I am super, super mean to my co-hosts and panel. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, well, I live in New York, so really just generally meanness <laughs> is like what I expect. Okay. I don't find that to be. So, so I want, I want to make it clear. I want to make it clear to anyone who's listening who thinks I give these, these guys a hard time. Uh, th- these guys are literally the best people that I had available when I started this project. The second I can replace any of them, 
Uh, I absolutely will. But for now, I'm incredibly happy to have Matt. You can find him at MattPT55. Uh, follow his wife at A Weaver Writes, who writes novels that you and your partner might be interested in. Uh, Bradley Philpot at Bradley Philpot on Twitter. You, Bradley, let's let's big you up. You're you're not just the guy who spanked Sebastian Vettel in the Skills Challenge at the Race of Champions. You are the class champion in VLN as well. What's your what's your class and team? It's a Euro Repair. Oh, that's very close, actually. Yeah. Oh. So the class is SP2T, which just stands for Specials um, with a Turbo under two liters, um, and the team is Team Euro Repair Net Motorsport. So yeah, Euro Repair being a European company, so almost okay. like Repair. So you're driving in the same class this year, looking to defend your title. Yeah, we're currently leading the championship again. Um, in fact, if we win next weekend, I think we seal the championship with four rounds to go. So oh. um, a good year for us so far. And the, the Brundles have been competing in VLN this season. They have. I actually missed the segment on the Formula One program um, with Martin. I, I hear there was a VLN ah, um, was there? section. So I need to I need to see that. Apparently it's him getting his license and that kind of thing. I saw all the film crew there whilst that was happening. But um, VLN's actually very well... Um, broadcast and documented out there so it's an extra camera crew you don't necessarily notice that they're doing something special because there's already all the German TV there but yeah um, Alex and Martin both doing really well I think Alex um, one of our other regular panelists won his class at the 24 hours at the Nürburgring along with Jamie Chadwick uh, star of the W series Uh, and let's uh, finish off I guess we should give Kyle some attention uh kyle powers uh my formula one subject matter expert at bbc radio cambridgeshire you're still not on twitter so you have no idea how rude i am to you on on twitter i can only begin to imagine it doesn't take a lot of imagination (laughs) thanks guys Uh, look let's talk about how the podium finishes got to where they ended up Well, Matt, I don't think it's unfair to say we are seeing the rise of Max Verstappen in an incredibly real and incredibly substantial way. It's coinciding with the rise of Red Bull Honda as well. I firmly believe that the Ferrari challenge has dissipated this season. And and people are going to think this is harsh. It's not because they don't have the resources or they don't have great drivers. They do. And it's not like they have, it's not like they don't have great engineers, mechanics and design and designers. They absolutely do. They do have a philosophy, however, that means that they start off stronger and then fall away as other teams develop. Red Bull is the complete opposite of that, Matt. They develop very, very well throughout the season and Max Verstappen now is is looking like pretty much the finished the finished article. He's obviously I think there's still more Max Verstappenness to come, but he's really starting to take his final form. Yeah, this whole season has been a revelation in maturity. If you're a Max Verstappen fan, especially compared to what we've seen out of him in previous seasons and the mantle of team leadership seems to have settled his head somewhat. Uh, Not entirely. Thankfully enough for us, he's still out there banging wheels when he has the opportunity. He seems to just enjoy that sort of thing. Yeah, maturity doesn't mean boring, does it? It just means he's better at doing what he's doing. But he's not... The risks he's taking are much better controlled and much more likely to come off in his favor. Yeah, uh, arguably, since Monaco last year, Max has been 
one of the strongest, if not the strongest driver in Formula One. He's barely put a foot wrong. He's maximised his every single opportunity and is still not afraid to get his elbows out when racing. He's been simply superb or simply lovely, as he'd put it. Simply lovely. And, uh, you know, this race aside, and we'll, we'll talk about Lewis Hamilton later, this really wasn't Lewis Hamilton's race. Uh, but an off-form Lewis Hamilton aside this race, I think what we're going to see towards the end of the season is Red Bull Honda really catching up. Can you imagine, Kyle, if Red Bull Honda can give a car that can be challenging Mercedes super often, we've got a whole another half of a season of Verstappen versus Hamilton. And I'm so excited. Oh, indeed. I can't wait. It was in my pre-season predictions that Honda were going to nail an engine update and Red Bull will go on to snatch the title. But I think that's a bit <laughs> far-fetched, but, but, but they're doing well. I really impressed with them and, and, and kudos Honda. I mean, that, that power unit is good. So, I mean, I, I don't think uh, I don't think Brad that Verstappen can win the title unless we have a couple of engine blowouts. Uh, but someone in the chat room just said, uh, "If um, it's Michael, Michael, hello chat room," um, said, "You know, if this isn't Verstappen's quite finished form, we should all be very scared." Yeah, I mean, we we picked him out back when he began really uh, on this podcast as something special. Not not that that was hard to do. I think a lot of people did, and. I have to admit, at the beginning of this race, a thought did flicker through my mind that maybe Verstappen could be an outside bet for a title tilt. If, if Red Bull continue on this form, I think it's probably very far-fetched, but he's certainly looking stronger than the other Mercedes, isn't he? Yeah, he definitely is. I think um, if, we had, uh, if we had a team with the kind of structure of Ferrari and their ability to throw away some races or qualifying, then you could be looking at Red Bull going, wow, they're going to challenge this race is ruining a lot of what I'm going to say, but Mercedes are very slick and reliable, aren't they? So, you know, they're not a team that's going to be tripping up race after race in the same way Ferrari have been. It was very much an anomaly from Mercedes this race, wasn't it? And it was unfortunate it was their home race and they'd done a lot of build-up for it and they'd done all their special retro liveries and things. But yeah, ordinarily, you don't expect Merck to have these kind of problems. Except when they bring fairly large updates, which they had brought and which were actually giving them trouble uh, because, again, the weather going from hot to cold, were they not changing Hamilton's bodywork in the last 10 minutes of FP3 just to to get him a little bit faster to be able to compete with the just raw power of the Ferrari down the straights where they were just losing too much time? They were. And I think that added to their normal slick operations plus the rain. Uh, just too many variables for them to control. More about what went wrong at Mercedes a little bit later. I really want to focus in on Verstappen's race. It was a chaotic race and lots of cars went off. How did he manage to do a full 360 spin and still win the race? So what I'm asking you for really, Matt, is can we have a mini where the race was won and lost for Verstappen? Uh, yeah, we can try and do that. Obviously, at the start, he lost some places um, because uh, they had massive wheel spin. He just like couldn't get the power down at all. Ni- neither of the Red Bulls could. I think that's uh, a but- deliberate tactic now, though, isn't it, Matt? That he he fools everyone at the start, uh, lulls them into a false sense of security, uh, insecurity, and then pounces. Yeah, it's sort of nice. People will drive around him. There are no collisions, <laughs> and then once everything strings out a little bit, he can just start passing people back. And he was sort of he was lingering in third um, through the first round of pit stops and uh, roundabouts. At lap 17, which is where uh, Daniel Ricciardo's engine most excellently failed catastrophically all over the racetrack. Yeah, good decision, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, after that virtual safety car ended, he was 
he was all over Botas, who does have some tire temperature troubles from time to time. I mean, that's that's the definitive ability of Hamilton versus Botas to get more from the Mercedes package. And uh, Verstappen obviously got his switched on, was all over him, and was uh, coming up, I believe it was into turn six, dove up the inside, went to turn in, and, and the rear, just like the car just went on him. And it just suddenly turned into like a kiddie ride for a second as he was just trying to maneuver the car, not hit Botas. Yeah. And sort of, it was just, it was amazing to me that nothing worse happened at that point. Actually, I just want to go to, to Brad briefly because Max was taking such different lines. Did you pick up on that to Bottas? Bottas taking what we might think of or what you might teach us to be the traditional wet lines around the outside, whereas Bottas had a very kind of narrow angle of attack. Is there a reason why he could do that? Yeah, there's some. There's a couple of different reasons why he might be doing that. Um, one, he might genuinely just have found that line worked better for him. Uh, he was more comfortable on that line for whatever reason. Um, it might also be that when you're following someone closely in the wet, you want to give yourself a little bit of margin so that if you do outbreak yourself, you kind of slot into the gap next to them as opposed to just hitting the back of them. Um, and also he might've been trying to keep out of the dirty air at some points by, I see Hamilton do this a lot where he would just deliberately turn in a bit later or earlier than the car in front just to try and have some clean air for his own front wing. Yeah, but the short answer to that is he happily spun where there was no one immediately behind to collect him. Yeah. And with a big enough gap to uh, get back to chasing down the Mercedes. So I just want to add on that spin for Verstappen. Um, A lot of people will have seen that 360 and thought that was just dumb luck that he happened to end up the right way around. Um, But there genuinely is a skill to um, recovering correctly once you've lost the rear like that. It's not always possible depending on how uh, what kind of spin it is. But um, having been involved in a lot of spins from the passenger seat, um, instructing for over a decade <laughs> in in not single seaters, but you know similar dynamics to single seaters, um, small prototypes on big fat slicks. Um, a lot of the time, my uh, guests who I was instructing would spin, and by um, clever use of locking the brakes at the right time and straightening the steering wheel at the right time, as a even from the passenger seat, you could most of the time guarantee you'd end up facing the right way and then recover. Um, whilst the, the driver actually had no idea what was going on. And Max is very good at that. I've seen that before. Bottas fluffed that um, when he had his accident later in the race. There was a point, I'm sure, where he could have actually recovered that. It would have been close, but he kind of just gave up oh, too early. Right, I, I picked up on that, but because the Sky team said, oh, there's nothing he could do, I kind of like, oh, Spanners, get back in your box. Uh, but no, I, I picked up on that. As he was sideways, That there was a point where he was sliding completely sideways and then the car fully let go. And I was thinking, oh, that seemed to be the point that he had some input. He, he needed to do, at one point, um, just from memory, he needed to do a slight bit of left hand down and then dab of the brakes, and then straighten the wheel, and it may have gripped up. But I mean, you know, it's very tricky, and Bottas is obviously a very skillful driver, even just rallies and that kind of thing. I'm not not doubting his car control, but a lot of these guys aren't necessarily that used to spinning all the time. No. Especially the good guys, Um, whereas when you've sat next to people who aren't very good all the time, you get used to being spun around a lot. Yeah, I mean, Carl, we're definitely not saying that we know better than than Bottas, and, and we also, we have the the hindsight to look at i think it is fair to look at the hindsight we're not saying that anyone else might have done it differently but it's fair to say what you could have done yeah and uh verstappen well he proved this to us amazingly in the brazilian grand prix in 2016 and i believe he even said himself lots of practice spinning on games and sim racing and knowing how to recover from spins and 
and it pays off. You can see he's a genius at it. This particular spin, he kept the throttle on until it was almost round, come off and gave another little blip of the throttle just to make sure it come round in the right way. It, it was seamless, very slick, but that's pure natural instinct well well, Matt I mean today wasn't a day where it was all about doing everything right and keeping it all sensible today was a day uh, to react dramatically strategically and dynamically in your car to the unexpected nearly every driver on the grid got tested in that way and and we'll come to how the other drivers reacted but when the snapping was tested he completely passed that test and ended up winning the race yeah, we have seen him do well in the wet in the past. He obviously has a great intuitive feel for the dynamics of the car when it is unsettled. And of course, he has a very good car in which to be unsettled. Uh, the Red Bull chassis has always been rumored to be a, a pretty lively and fun thing to drive. And he clearly has figured it out uh, since he's been at the team. Uh, what happens next? For him is the story of the race. Uh, he goes onto the goes onto the slick tires, the mediums, the horrible medians, mediums as does Botas. They decide these are terrible and they take advantage of um, the end of the virtual safety car and decide to come off of them. And as it is, right as he's approaching, uh, right as they're approaching it is is right when Hamilton has his sad incident. And for whatever reason, Verstappen comes in a lap earlier. I think he was trying to follow Hamilton into the pits, if I'm not mistaken, because that's about where they were. And as a result, he comes out, he essentially gains the place on Hamilton and then gets the undercut as well on on Botas, who's coming around. And now he's in the lead of the race. It's basically uh, lap 31. And that's where he stayed because he was really, really good at all of the subsequent restarts he was going to have to do. Yeah, Carl, I mean, normally that kind of that kind of error, realizing you're on the wrong tire and then having to do another pit stop to correct that. Any other race, that's that's race over. He's out of it. Hmm. What does Brundle always say? Be on the right tire at the right time. And um, I think it was missed by a lot of the coverage and I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But when when Verstappen span, I think on his mediums. I think he went and did another lap and then he came into the pits during the Hamilton pit debacle. And I think that's why Bottas had to go through again because Hamilton was blocking the pit box. So Bottas stayed another lap. And then when he pitted the next lap, Verstappen jumped all of them. So it was an inspired choice to, to well, I don't think it was inspired, to be honest. He had to come in because it started to rain quite heavily. So it worked out lovely for him. Yeah, you're right. It was Hamilton's ultra-long pit stop that was unscheduled that kept Botas from getting in on the same lap as Verstappen. I missed that, but you're you're absolutely correct about that. Uh, so, uh, Matt, we are giving Verstappen a lot of praise, and he raced fantastically, and he rescued himself in the spin, and he gave himself good luck while other people had bad luck when they lost control. So it was critical that when things started to go wrong, Red Bull and Verstappen reacted well. However, we we should also note that other people fell out of the way as well you know so it was a a perfect storm in, in which he had the steadiest and most skillful ship yeah well as a musician i am fond of making the point that people who are the best in the world it's not that they never make mistakes is that they only make one mistake there's no cascade there's no error cascade and if we look at ferrari if we look at Hamilton. mercedes yes. This is exactly what we saw. 
Kyle Power. Yeah, and he just proved his raw talent and mature head. Look after the restarts. Every restart when he was ahead of Bottas, he pulled five seconds, I think it was, on one of the laps, then toned it off completely. Like at the end of the race, he 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 put electric pace in for a couple of laps, then just stopped pushing and just kept it and managed to gap to the people behind. Very mature. Okay, well done, Max. But let's move on to what I think is arguably the coup of the race because Verstappen winning isn't... Uh, you know, preposterous news. It's not a thousand to one shot, but Daniel Kvyat, Matt, on the on the podium in second place is absolutely phenomenal. In fact, let, let's get to Brad. I thought he came third, and I thought it was Vettel in second place. Uh, oh, and- right, sorry, he was he was sorry. Yes, well, Kvyat was running in second for a while, but still, Kvyat on the podium, amazing, incredible. Yeah, he he did a great job, but he also, if we're going to, if we're going to kind of criticize Stroll a bit for not being at the sharp end and kind of benefiting from just circumstance. It was probably a similar thing, wasn't it, with Kvyat um, uh, towards the end where he, he wasn't really up there and then just the the fact that he went onto the tyres at the right time moved him all the way forward. Go on, Matt. Well, let's let Kyle in first. Well, I was going to say quite the opposite. His his pace, I've got it in my notes at the time, his pace when they went onto the slick tyres, yes, he was very fortunate to get onto the tyres at the right time, but his pace was was really good. He was comfortably dropping dropping Stroll. He overtook Stroll, comfortably dropped him, and then when Max pulled his gap, he just held it. So I think for about four, four or five laps, he sat at 10 seconds exactly behind Max, and his pace was pulling away from everyone else. So he had mega pace. And what can you say about that? But this is the exact opposite of how he was his first trip round in Red Bull. He sat patiently. He was uh, as far down as 19th at one point early in the race. He took advantage of his pit stops. He, he made the same mistakes as the front runners. They did go onto the slick tires for a bit. Um, and by time, uh, by time we got to the critical moment, which was the last safety car, uh, he he had he had worked himself up um, to about ninth position, so it was a solid, if unspectacular, race for him. And then, as I previously stated in my full genius, they looked at the times of stroll and where he was positioned, and the entrance to the pits was incredibly favorable to both he and Magnuson taking advantage of that information first, and they both made. Hey, with it. Uh, obviously, Stroll did. Kvyat, uh, uh, Magnuson did. Kvyat managed to catch Stroll and pass him, and that was his race right there. He spent the time. He was patient. He kept his nose clean, and when he had his opportunity, he ruthlessly took it. Now let's hear from an adult wearing a baseball cap, Brad. Yeah, I um, I don't, I don't mean to criticize too harshly, and you're right. He actually he was doing better than I thought he was at the point where they they made that switch to the slicks. Um, but all I'd say is keeping your nose clean and not crashing, although a lot of drivers didn't manage that, that is really the bare minimum you expect from a professional top-level race driver. So I just don't want to give too much praise to people just for being in the right place at the right time. But obviously, you're right. You do need to keep your nose clean through the difficult phases of the race to then be able to capitalize on, on that situation. I've got sympathy with what you're saying. It's like, let's not get carried away. It was a roll the dice situation. It was a race where people could use the Jensen Button manoeuvre. And for those not familiar, Brad, there was a racing driver called Jensen Button. And any time in interchangeable conditions, he would just do the opposite to what everyone else was doing. And 
when it didn't work, it just didn't get noticed and he'd disappear into the pack. When it did work, he was a genius and he was the king of interchangeable positions. Uh, but today, every, everyone was Jensen Button because there were so many different strategies and approaches you could take. Yeah, there were a lot of opportunities to to roll that dice and um, and and look like a hero um, or just kind of slip back into obscurity. Uh, and lots of people are um, praising Vettel in our comments and saying that we're not really speaking about him enough. But well, I have yet. to say, it's the same situation for him, surely. Lots of safety cars bunching the pack up allowed Vettel to get to where he ended up. Oh, you're such a hater, Brad. Well, we're not speaking about Vettel because he's the next person on the podium we will talk about. But with regards to Kvyat and Magnussen, unlike Stroll, they had actual numbers to look at. So I would I would happily uh, take that up with you, Spanners. It was not a Jensen button maneuver for them. They had a number to look at, and that number said, we should be on the slick tires now because we can nab five or six seconds from the front of the race. I also think there's a little crucial radio message in there as well, and they must have all got the update at the same time. And Just as they were diving to the pits, I think Stroll was told it's not going to rain again. And that was before everyone else did. So they must they all get the same information, I think. But they must have heard that. So I think that had a part to play in it as well. Uh, Brad? So I'm just, uh, I was just reading through the comments whilst Carl was talking, just to, to keep track of what the chat room are talking about. And, uh, and I just want to clarify, I don't think 20th to second is easy. So uh, definitely not a Vettel hater. Um, but yeah, it, it is not that impressive when lots of people in front of you um, end up in the barriers and you're in one of the best cars and the pack gets bunched up lots of times by the safety car. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. And remember, that was Bradley Philpot saying that and not Spanners or, or indeed or indeed Matt. Matt, shall we move on to Sebastian Vettel? Yeah, sure, because uh, Brad is talking about him. This will be fun. Um, <laughs> I will note for the record. I just want to throw, you know, the people under the bus, if, if at all possible, Matt. That's what we have to remember. If we can, Kyle first, he's the first one to throw under the bus if we can. Then Jeansy. And then who's your next least favorite panelist? It's Nick, isn't it? Yeah, it has yeah, to Nick. be. Just because oh, okay. he's an American and we're competing. Yeah, yeah okay. And then, then Brad and, and, then, and then obviously ultimately you. I, I do continue, sorry. Yes, well, well, sadly, we've not caught Kyle on record the same way we have Brad on record. But looking at Vettel's race, uh, from the start, to the first safety car period when he pitted, he'd gone from the back to 14th, which would be basically in a lap and a half in the rain on the wet tires that were slippy. So that that seems a bit of an achievement. Um, he came out P12 and then was in again for some softs around lap 24, um, which uh, saw him out in 11th place. And then after the virtual safety car, when everyone came back in for the enters, uh, he actually benefited quite significantly from that. He was up to P8. And from there, he was he just kind of hung around there until, of course, the very end of the race uh, when he came in along with everybody else to go back onto the softs and race to the end. He came out P9, uh, was um, up to P7 right away, uh, getting by Gasly and Magnussen, took Albin, and then the safety car on lap 58 did help him out. That was Botas and the wall because it closed up the field. And then once the restart happened, he well passed signs, stroll and Kvyat to take second place. And you got to say, oh, Vettel can't pass. Well, apparently he could pass enough, at least this time around, even in the rain. And, and yeah, but 
it, it was his admission afterwards, which I was quite amazed with. We all thought he had some turbo issues during that first Inters phase, and he actually fell to five seconds behind Raikkonen after some quite good tussling with him. Um, and Vettel said, no, it wasn't an issue with the turbo at all. He just couldn't get the hang of the conditions, and he was struggling. And he said he was happy it was a long race because he, he just couldn't get a handle on the conditions. So he was feeling the pressure. Also, Leclerc, before he put the fresh Inters on, was also struggling for pace. So maybe it's a trait that Ferrari is not an easy car in those mixed conditions. Yeah, I mean, you could look at how cold the track is. You could look at the loss of tread and the difficulty of holding temperatures as the tires begin to wear. And especially because so much of the track was fairly dry, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have those issues with the enters. It wasn't quite wet enough to keep them lively. And this is why I think, as Brad had referenced earlier, you begin to see drivers taking more and more creative lines through turns. They're just looking to get water back on the tires to try and extend their life. Unless I misunderstood, Brad. No, you're right. Um, certainly down the straights, the drivers um, who are on um, any kind of wet weather tire, inters or full wets, who are seeing the temperatures get a bit warm, are definitely going to try and cool them down just to extend that life a bit. Kyle? Yeah, um, but it was the same for everyone. When when Vettel was struggling for pace, they were all in the same sort of tire phase. And he admitted he just couldn't really drive it. But as soon as he got slightly dry, that's when his pace came alive and he started to get build the confidence. But worryingly, it took him half of the race to get the confidence. But again, very clever. He didn't do it anything silly. He didn't put it in the wall. He had some very tight wheel-to-wheel battles. And yeah, I think he's, um, I think he's got some redemption at last. And, and boy, did he need it. All right, Matt. Look, we're going to get a lot of criticism for not giving Vettel the the credit he's due. So we should say you're starting at the back of the grid. It takes a lot of mental fortuitiveness. That could be a word. No one knows. No, Brad, stop looking at me like that. Like words, language is fluid. That could be a word. Yeah, I think it was Brad's, a good word. I think Brad's going to start the first missed apex dictionary yeah. and that word will be the first entry, correct? Oh. It was actually quite close to a real word. So he, yeah, he he um, needed, he was quite fortuitous. I know, but he wasn't though, it was the opposite. So you meant the opposite of that word. What I meant is he had fortitude. That's that's what I was going for. So he had fortitudinous uh, from the back of the grid to not get your head down, Matt, when you're starting at the back, when you've had uh, completely uh, qualifying that was not your fault and you've had to start at the back of the grid at your home Grand Prix and it looks like the Mercedes are going to disappear. Then the rain comes down and you remember last year where as soon as it got moist, uh, your title rival, Lewis Hamilton, started hounding you, started really pulling in that gap. You made a mistake. You ended up going very slowly into the barriers in front of your home fans. And then the next race comes around. You're at the back of the grid. The rain starts coming down. A lot of other drivers would have got their head down. What we can say about Sebastian Vettel is he barely put a foot wrong today. He kept his head down and any opportunity that came his way, he took it. Even though, like, actually, go to Kyle. Kyle, like, he was nowhere until the last safety car, but still, he had to be in it to win it. Yeah, exactly. And and imagine the pressure this guy is under. He has been slated all around the press and by people like us what? all the time. Unbelievable. Uh, no. He's slating for making mistakes. And what's in the back of his mind? Every time he goes into a wheel-to-wheel situation, oh, I can't afford to have another mistake like that. And he kept his head in very difficult conditions. He knew he was struggling to drive the car to it to its full pace, but he didn't overpush and put it in the wall. I think that was a very, very strong drive. 
since we are a money-growing podcast, uh, Mark Greenhoe has paid for us to say intestinal fortitude is the phrase perhaps you were looking for. Uh, yeah, that's good. And uh, to make it clear what he, he's done there is he's, he's done a super chat where you can pay money to have your chat comment highlighted. And we get that money. And we really, really appreciate this because we are a listener-supported podcast. You can find the live chat by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. And you can chat along with the chat room. It's very simple. It's all there in the YouTube app. And if you feel like supporting us more consistently, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Apex. There you will get an RSS feed that you can add to your podcast player so you can have an ad-free feed. You can come and join me and Matt who hang out in the Slack group uh, nearly obsessively, Matt. And of course, you and I also do our Patreon podcast most Mondays where we don't often talk about F1. We will this week, but a lot of the time it is just you and me shooting the breeze. Yeah, it is. And we talk about all of this stuff that winds up not going into this show because we have a slightly different brief there. Um, the chat room, where do we go? It's going too fast. Someone did make the point that out of the top six drivers, Seb was the only one. That would be Sarong Deshpanda. Seb was the only driver out of the top six to not make any mistake in this tricky race. That's got to be worth something, right? Well, well absolutely. It was worth second place in the in the race. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a, a, a good Solid comeback from a difficult Saturday. Well done, Sebastian Vettel. And, you know, congratulations to the Ferrari and and Sebastian Vettel fans who have been on an absolute roller coaster the last few years. That, I think, is as good as a win today, 20th to second place. Obviously, it would have been better, I think, had Leclerc been in. Could Leclerc have won it, Matt? Um, well... Haha, <laughs> I've surprised you. Yes, I believe he had the pace to win it. Uh, however, his error perhaps precludes that analysis. Yeah, no fair point, Carl. Um, yeah, and in line of what would have happened to Hamilton, Leclerc had just jumped up and got second place, I believe, before all of that. So he would have inherited the lead. So one would have to presume he would have gone on and won it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, we've been quite positive so far, guys, and uh, we've hit the hour mark with the podcast. Uh, I'm sure 
that people will appreciate that this is some somewhat of an exceptional race and there's a lot to talk about. So I'm happy to continue. Uh, Brad, Kyle, Matt, are you all good to hang around? Have you got any external pressures? Okay, good. Uh, well, I will uh, take this opportunity again just to tell you where you can follow us and the and the panel. Follow us on Twitter at MissedApexF1 and the show, uh, you can follow it uh, on Facebook as well. That We have a page on Facebook if that's how you prefer to get notifications. And we have a lively Facebook group as well. Just search for Missed Apex Podcast everywhere. Bradley Philpot is Bradley Philpot on Twitter. Very active on Facebook with his uh, karting championship, the BRKC, of which he's got a lovely sign in the background. Are you all filled up for 2020? You you do a, a fantastic indoor karting tournament in January. We haven't actually opened the entries yet, and they're going to open within the next couple of weeks. Um, in the past, we've generally sold out within a few hours of opening. We have 100 places. Um, but this year, we are going to open in phases because um, we have specific top-line drivers that we want to get entered um so we're going to give them a chance to enter first we're going to start seeding it to avoid um every man and his dog getting in before the world championship contenders so kyle power brkc has become elitist is there even room for kyle powers anymore probably not but if you want quality interviews then you have to have me included (laughs) simple or if you like me to frustrate certain drivers of bradley's friends which i seem to be pretty good at so, um, yeah, put me in there for a comedy belly. And, of course, the best thing about BRKC is it is covered all on YouTube and uh, they do occasionally put a mic in my hand and just let me insult the drivers as much as I want, which is always great fun. Of course, you two are both going to be at Missed Apex Karting as well on the 21st of September. Really looking forward to that. Brad, we are desperately thinking of a way we can make it more difficult for you. Uh, I think we, we basically have a, a Brad prize and a non-Brad prize, don't we, Kyle? Weighted vest. Weighted seat and a weighted vest. Come but, on, Brad. But but Brad has to weigh 150 kilos. See, Brad, you're so you're so fiercely competitive. Even if I said to you there was no pressure on you to win, and your result would be in context of the fact that you were wearing 20 kilograms. You'd, I know you won't do it. It would hurt you too much. You know what? I would I would seriously consider weighing up to um, to whatever Kyle and and Jeansy want me to weigh. Maybe whatever they weigh. Um, because, you know, you keep making it too easy for me up until now. So so maybe let's do it. Shall I make that pledge live on air? I've got a weight seat. I might as well do it. It'll just do shut it. them up, hopefully. It, 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 might, it. it might well do. Yeah, I, I'd be up for that. Um, obviously, we can't, we can't stop the general public from, uh, from being light. So we'll, 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 we'll put in big letters all around the track, uh, Brad, that you've, you've got, that you're carrying ballast trumpets. You'll be there as well. You're crossing the ocean to come and hang out with us. I am, I'm so looking forward to you, to you coming. We'll do what we did last week, uh, last time, Matt. Same plan. Let's get absolutely belted and have a brilliant weekend. I think I am down for that. If you want to join us, there are three places left. Go to www.mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. It's Buckmore Park in Kent on September the 21st. Okay, on with the race. We've been really positive so far, Matt, uh, about the guys who've done fantastically well. Great race from Max Verstappen. Well done, Sebastian Vettel. And just a fabulous day for everyone at Toro Rosso, for those midfield teams plugging away, plugging away. Whenever they get a driver doing really well, he gets whisked away to the the parent team. Uh, So that team celebrating their first podium since 2019, I think, since uh, Sebastian Vettel won in the rain. But there were some drivers who really, really dropped the ball. And I think let's let's start with Mercedes. Just an awful, awful day in the office for Mercedes. Who who both both cars could have won today. 
both cars could have won. And I think the question you have to ask is who really had the worst day today? And I don't know. Hamilton? How many spins? Uh, well, Brad's- Out of the points till the penalties? I mean, that's pretty far below his normal standard. Although he did turn up less than 100% to the grid this week. Let's be honest. He did have a sore throat and almost didn't make qualifying. I'm not one of the the ham fosi on this podcast. So um, anyone in the chat room, um, I'm just being neutral here. But Matt, I can't agree with you. Hamilton turned up, got pole position despite being ill, and then just stormed off at the front of the field. Absolutely dominated the first part of the race, was imperious. No one could touch him. And it was purely a bad decision by his team to put him on slick tyres when it was too wet for slicks that caused the downfall from then. He would have won this race at a canter had it been down to driving performance um, without external factors. Okay, so I just I feel like I need to be super clear that the voice you just heard was Bradley Philpot and not and not me. And the next voice you're going to hear is Kyle Power. I completely agree with Bradley. Um, oh no, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Lewis was amazing up till lap 29 when it all unravelled. But the one place where he wasn't amazing, and I think I've seen a little chink in his armour, was he seemed to drop his head a little bit and his shoulders go down. He come on the radio asking what's gone wrong. Well, you put it in the wall, Lewis. That's that's one of the things that, that went wrong. And then he was oddly off the pace. When they're on that second or when the, the penultimate phase of Inters, he was really fast. Once he cleared Albon, he was fast. Then when he went on to the slicks, his pace was nowhere. He wasn't making any inroads. Then he spanned. So I think the car was okay after the, his conversation with the wall. But he seemed to drop his head. And that's something which I, I can never imagine Schumacher doing, for instance, who was invincible. This is what was our little argument we had in the map chat the other day. I thought, I think this is where Hamilton is slightly weak. He does drop his shoulders a little bit. And once it happens, you can't see him coming back from it. Okay, Brad. Okay, let me make let me make the case because as a Lewis Hamilton supporter, I've been cheering on Lewis Hamilton as, as a great British hope and a great British driver since he entered the sport. I am unashamedly a Lewis Hamilton fan. I think it's okay to support a certain driver. I no one is more upset when Lewis Hamilton doesn't do well than me, and I get upset with him. You know, my sporting my sporting background is from football, and when your team does badly, you boo your team and you throw your your orange peel at them. I today I felt like Lewis Hamilton took a long time to get past Albon, and he he didn't pass the major test of keeping it on the track. So if we we yes, he he might have been left out on the inters for a bit too long but surely it's fair to say you know he put it in the wall whereas Vettel saved sorry whereas Verstappen made a great state save and Kimi Raikkonen uh, kept it on the track and did the right things and was gentle Lewis Hamilton got that risk reward wrong Brad he just got it wrong and he hit the wall I, I just have to say that if we're going to praise other people for their final finishing positions when their team made a correct strategic decision to put them on the right tyres at the right time you can't then, in the same breath, um, criticise Lewis Hamilton for having done a perfect job, absolutely sailed away from the field in whatever conditions, only for his team to then put him on the wrong tyres at the wrong time. You know, OK, he, he ultimately was the one driving when he made the mistake, but we saw so many drivers go off at that corner. Um, you know, it's, I just think you can't criticise him when other drivers have finished well because of a team decision. Right. And and that's what I was getting at. Is it Hamilton compared to his potential having a worse day than Botas compared to his potential? That's the question I was trying to ask, because clearly in the best of worlds, 
even on the wrong tires at the wrong time, he didn't go off. He didn't hit the wall. And what really compounded his errors, he missed the bollard in, into the pits. And then he blocked up the pits, which kept Botas from coming back out in first position and maybe not being in a place where he has to try and pass Lance Stroll at the end of the race. I mean, it really, there were a lot of strategic repercussions to his going off and the way he handled the aftermath of it that I feel maybe we're not fully considering here. And yeah, uh, with to answer your question, Matt, of who who didn't perform relative to you know their expected performance, Bottas had a rather mediocre race. He was never really pushing the boundaries. He wasn't really moving up. He was very lackluster, lackluster in qualifying. And then arguably, when Toto Wolff's not showing him that much public support and used a certain four-letter word to describe his race summary at the end, um, um, what, what was it, Carl? What was the what was the what was the word? It, it began with S and oh, ended yeah. in T. Okay, yeah. So yeah. He, he wasn't <laughs> um, happy. And we can go to Bottas in a second. Certainly a driver under a lot of pressure. Uh, but just to sort of tie up the knot on on Hamilton, Matt, I I think uh, he's he's been so consistent in the wet that the chat room is perhaps suggesting that we're holding him to a higher standard. It, it's not particularly abnormal. In fact, a quarter of the grid left the track and hit something, didn't they? You know, something like that. And nearly half the grid spun at some point. But because this is Lewis Hamilton, because he's won the last nine wet races, we are holding him to a high standard. And I think that's correct. He's a five-time world champion. So we should hold him to a high standard. Yeah. I mean, this was the nut of my question. And you've absolutely hit on it. It's it's not so much that he made a mistake or that the team made mistakes, because clearly they made mistakes. The question is... Why, how much, how far did he deviate uh, from his best performance in today's performance relative to Botas? And it sounds like people are kind of agreeing with what I thought, which is that okay. as, yeah. as shocking as we might have found it, he wasn't nearly as far off the mark as Valtteri was. Okay, well, actually, let, let's talk to Brad because we were talking about how you react, the way you react to bad situations in these conditions is as important as your ultimate pace. Lewis Hamilton had two spins, so he had two. So that's still that's still too many. We can still put that on him. However, he spun in a place that cost Leclerc and Hulkenberg their race entry, made them DNF, and he survived that. He also spun in the same place that Valtteri Bottas, exactly the same place, exactly the same way as Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottas completely creamed it into the wall. Lewis Hamilton saved it, so we can give him a little credit there. Yeah, I think some of that is luck. Uh, and some of it will be skill and uh, it's difficult to tell exactly how much of which, but yeah, I, I don't by any stretch of the imagination think Hamilton had a perfect race today. I just think he was very, very fast. Um, and then things went wrong from there. Oh, but, his pace but, isn't in question, is it? He, he's, he had phenomenal pace today. That, that's definitely not in question. Uh, Matt? I was just going to ask if you would be curious for a partial list of people who went off in that general vicinity. I Yes, I would. Steins, Hulkenberg, Leclerc, Hamilton, Botas, and Raikkonen and are all yeah. written down. Yes. Kyle. Uh, I was just going to say um, Lewis's race. That points out my little weakness, I think, I found in him. When things start to go wrong, they all really go wrong and it unravels and he doesn't seem to drag himself out of it so well. When it's already gone wrong, like last year's Hockenheim race, it had already gone wrong in qualifying. He could only go up from there. But when yeah. he's leading and it starts to go wrong, that's when Lewis is at his weakest. It, it did. And I think we shouldn't underestimate as well the the effect that the, the five-second penalty he got had 
because the five-second penalty was imposed on him, Mercedes had to make certain strategic uh, uh, calls. And I think Mercedes were looking at this. If this was a normal race, they could have said at any point, build a five-second gap and we'll get you into the pit, we'll serve your penalty, you can go back out and be on your way. But there was never a period in this race, Matt, where Mercedes had a window to serve that penalty effectively to take advantage of his uh, additional pace on the field. Well, you've hit on a very interesting and critical phase of the strategy, which is Mm. at the Hulkenberg uh, safety car around lap 41, uh, all of the front runners came in for fresh enters. And it was clear that the difference pace-wise by then was almost a second a lap. And they didn't bring Lewis in. And when he asked them on the radio, they said, well, you've got a five-second penalty. We feel like you'll lose too many positions. Uh, But as Brad, I think, was stating earlier, that might not have been the case. Yeah, it looked to me, certainly, just after I heard that team radio message, I think it was, where they they kind of explained that they couldn't bring him in because of that. It looked like there was an enormous gap behind him. And and if he'd actually um, if he'd actually just come in and done a normal pit stop with the five seconds, he would have lost, at worst, one or two places, and maybe none at all. So that seemed like a bit of a mistake by Mercedes there. Yeah, and, and they... That it, it was almost a double whammy for them because they didn't pit him there because of this five-second penalty. But if they thought it was going to dry up eventually, he was going to have to pit for slicks anyway. And when he did, he got really penalised for it and come out 12th nowhere. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that was a bad call not to not to pit him then. Okay, let's talk about penalties because we don't have really any whose fault is 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 apart from the hazes and uh do you know what the hazes hitting each other is just becoming normal now i don't know if that really makes the cut matt <laughs> but, but uh, so in place of whose fault is this let's just talk about the two penalties briefly uh, start with hamilton's because we're talking about lewis hamilton i immediately expected that to be a penalty going the wrong side of the barrier is there is there anyone who's thinking that that shouldn't have been a penalty i think we do we all agree it looks like there's no strong opinions one way or the other, apart from me, because if we all remember the infamous, uh, OK, box, 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 Lewis, out, 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 out from Bono when he did that, you know, and made him like duck out of the pits at the last minute and rejoin the track over the grass, Kyle. I thought that was a nailed on penalty. The second he last minute decided to come into the pits, that was always going to be a penalty. You, you can't just enter the pits however you want. No, exactly. And they had to after last year and all the controversy and so many haters and people <laughs> losing their mind online about it. They yeah. couldn't not penalise him. But it was quite harsh thinking about it because he had no front wing. He was trying to get into the pits and crashed, but they had to do it this time by the letter of the law. So yeah. the, the only defence I can think of for Lewis is that we kind of criticised Grosjean for not just staying put. We criticised Grosjean in the last race for coming out of the pits and they're like strew, um, strewing that's not a word either, is it? Uh, strewing debris, uh, putting debris on the track after a crash. So Hamilton, obviously, he's got a damaged wing. The safest thing is either to pull over and he's on the exit of a corner or come into the pits. So in one way, I kind of see get to the pits. But in another way, Carl, he's obviously got a, a massive racing advantage from that. And it is it is against the rules. He had to. There's also another rule, which Rosberg was penalised for in, um, I think it was 2016 Austria. So you're not allowed to drive a car knowingly damaged around the track to cause chaos. So he had to come into the pit. So the penalty in that sort of sort of aspect is extremely harsh because he would have been penalised for driving around with a broken front wing. Oh, good point, Matt. Yeah, well, um, and as anyone can plainly see, but LGH uh, made the point in the chat room. In order to make the bollard, he would have had to drive against traffic on the track, which is a very, very big no-no. 
So his choices were retire the car, try and drive around with a wing that might come undone and get stuck under his front wheels, or take the shortest possible route to the pits where his car could be repaired. I mean, he made choice number three. It was possibly not the worst choice, but it did have a major effect on uh, the remainder of his team's race. Yeah, I, I wasn't really surprised by the penalty, aside from the fact that um, earlier on we'd seen Ferrari uh, with Leclerc and his unsafe release essentially get a slap on the wrist. So it seemed at that point like the stewards are being really lenient. And I appreciate that's a team issue. Not It wasn't Leclerc's fault. So I'm, I'm fine with him not personally getting a penalty. But normally he would have got a penalty there. And so it's kind of like a little harsh for Hamilton and really lenient for Leclerc. So it I mean, I guess Ooh. they are totally different situations. Okay. So, so, just- so was it super lenient for Leclerc, though? Because I was raging and I did a tweet, which you can still see, uh, where I said, you know, basically, you now can buy an unsafe release. So you can look at your budget books and you can go, well, we've got a little cash. You know, we've got a little cash to spare. So if there's a 50-50 situation, just send the car out safely or unsafely. And, you know, if we get away with it, we will get, uh, we'll just get fine. So Carl, I kind of felt at the time that you could now buy a safety car release and it had set an unhealthy precedent. Yes, I, I, I agree. I was very surprised when I saw that. But then again, I'm quite happy because there's all these instances like when you have an engine penalty or a gearbox penalty. I'd like to see the team penalised, not the driver. And this is the first case I've seen this sort of thing happening, this leniency. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that should have been applied there. I mean, it was they they gave him the benefit of the doubt. It was a chaotic pit lane. But at the end of the day, that was an unsafe release. It's a very dangerous precedent. Everyone's just going to take a fine now, aren't they? Yeah. How much is it for breaking a mechanic's leg? Is that an extra 10 grand? Um, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, that is ridiculous because if you want to hurt the team, penalise them with points. Um, Ferrari don't care about a financial penalty unless you're talking tens of millions of dollars, which obviously it wouldn't be. I think that's an absolutely dangerous decision for the stewards to have made. Now, the main thing I always want is consistency. So I thought initially that perhaps that Ferrari were getting a more lenient treatment than other teams. However, if you look at the 2018 list of penalties, which I did because I am enough of a sad loser to do that, it is actually, surprisingly, this is a consistent penalty. They are consistently fining the team for unsafe releases if there's no contact. So when Verstappen came out of the pits in Monaco, Brad, he hit uh, Leclerc, didn't he? Or he hit Don't him. know about that situation, yeah. but today there certainly was contact. Was there? I, I'm absolutely certain there <sighs> okay, was contact well, between that. Leclerc and, was it Grosjean who came out? Um, uh, sorry, Grosjean was pitting, wasn't he, when Leclerc yeah, came no, out? But I'm I, sure. thought, I thought Grosjean sort of braked in time, Kyle, didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, I thought Grosjean jumped onto the brakes, and I think that triggered like an anti-stall or something yeah. in his car. So he so yeah, he um, he lost loads he of time. Struggled. He lost yeah. a load of time, but I I, I don't recall there being contact. So, so I, I think, think I think look more closely at it. But um, yeah. it looked to me at the time like there was contact, but I'm yeah. happy to be shown to be wrong. Well, that's that's what I think that's the the way the stewards are looking at it is if no contact, they do a team fine, and if there is contact, like in Monaco, then there's an in race fine. However, for the record, I, I, if it's an unsafe release, if it's a, if it's a thing we've decided is unsafe, then there's got to be a sporting penalty. Otherwise, you'll you'll never you'll never put people off. All right, um, let's go to move on to Bottas. Honestly, we could sit and talk about any one 
of these topics. Any one of these drivers, we could sit and add another 20 minutes to the show. Uh, but I think we've got to talk about Bottas, Matt, because our friend, friend of the show, Matthew Carter, and uh, I don't know how often he listens, so I can lie. I can say close personal friend, Matthew Carter, and former CEO of Lotus F1, stated categorically that as far as he's concerned and as far as his contacts are concerned and his sources that Bottas is being replaced at the end of 2020. Now, we got a lot of people shouting us down. There's a lot of people disagreed with that. And other people in the media who may or may not appear on this show also disagreed with it. However, then then the rumbling started to come to come out and then Toto Wolf before the race publicly was saying, oh, we're looking at making a decision by the end of August. Wow. Talk about putting pressure on a driver to say that we're going to decide whether we're keeping Bottas or not in the next couple of races. But he said August. So that means this race and Hungara ring. Wow. Yep. I mean, that's pretty much what they said. We're going to look at these two races and we're going to make up our mind. And if you're Bottas, who was the last victim of the drag stirrup of doom, uh, this is not the way you wanted your race to go. I mean, he was had a hard time getting past Hulkenberg. He couldn't get past Stroll. He crashed trying. Oof. And he was in a Mercedes. Yeah, Ky- just, Kyle, Kyle, I nearly yeah. I nearly tweeted that if Bottas couldn't get past Stroll, bin him. I mean, this it was such a... They, they were on equal tyres. The track was dry. The conditions were fine. It's a track where you, you can overtake. We've seen overtakes. Surely you expect your top-line Mercedes driver to overtake what is... I'm sorry, Stroll fans. What is by far the second-best driver in the fourth or fifth-best team. Mm-hmm. It, it was, This is poor. And have we seen the end of Bottas today? Did we see the exact end of his top-flight career? Possibly, because it wasn't just the race that was an issue for Bottas. It was the entire weekend. He was lackluster. He was a he was a constant two three temps behind Lewis the entire weekend, and said he wasn't happy with the car. So it wasn't a strong showing on all fronts from Bottas, unfortunately. But to to get rid of him on that race, that's harsh. That's really really harsh. Well, one of the things that does occur to me is that he had complained. Uh, he had been complaining about the car, but specifically, he was saying the brakes were giving him inconsistent results. And we can ask Brad, but I'm pretty sure as a driver, that's not going to be helping your lap time out too much. No, but I mean, that's what it's like in race cars, you know, different phases, different temperatures, brakes are going to operate in different ways. And it's no different really for anyone else on the grid, unless he had a specific broken part or a specific setup problem. Bottas today was really disappointing for me. Um, The main thing was, Obviously, yesterday's gap in qualifying was pretty significant. He even let a, a slower car in between him and his teammate. Um, and, and today, he just wasn't quick enough, was he? And this seems to be the trend. Uh, I hate to say it because I really like Bottas. I really wished him the best for this season and hoped after the first couple of races, maybe this was the time he could do it. But I think the, the reversion to the mean has occurred. Is that what you say? What's the what's the phrase you use, Spanners? Um, this is the average now isn't it this is his performance oh absolutely isn't quick enough to challenge lewis so a lot of the press a lot of media will react very strongly to to spikes uh whereas really we should be looking at trends and the beginning of the season is a time where we do get a lot of spikes and coincidentally is the time where people think that a ferrari have started off very strongly and in the last few seasons thinking that bottas is going to challenge lewis hamilton The, the the truth of the matter is Valtteri Bottas is never going to challenge Lewis Hamilton and being the teammate of Lewis Hamilton is probably the stiffest test 
in Formula One right now. Maybe the only other challenge is being a, a, a Max Verstappen's teammate. So we're not judging Bottas too harshly. However, if you're Mercedes and you're looking at, um, at Hamilton getting the absolute top out of what that car can get most of the time, not today, and and not in Austria on those on those curbs. Uh, you look at the the driver who's in number two, and yes, Carl, you you don't want him rocking the boat of your number one driver. But actually, with Bottas, you think actually you're leaving a lot of points on the table, and, and you're just not close enough. It, it looks like. Correct me if I'm wrong, Carl. It looks like uh, getting rid of Bottas is an is a result looking for a reason rather than them making an objective kind of decision. I think they're looking for a way now to get rid of Bottas and get Ocon, Ocon in. Kind of. Um, uh, as, you said, as you said, you don't want to rock the apple cart and it's fine. Lewis is his number two and it's all good and it's, and it's, and it's going along nicely. The problem which the Mercedes have now and is the major problem is other cars are close enough that they're starting to get in the way. They're getting in between them. It would be fine if there was no one close enough to challenge them, but now there is. So now they might want to look for that faster driver in the second seat because you've got Verstappen, the Red Bull, and Leclerc's and, and Vettel's who, who are now can wedge themselves between the two Mercedes drivers. That's Bottas's issue. It's easy to get things wrong when you look at drivers on track, but it's always kind of been my impression that um, I'd say similar to Rosberg, uh, Bottas is not quite as skilled at the wheel-to-wheel combat. And I just wonder if, again, as you say, the cars are getting closer and Ferrari is mounting more and more of a challenge, if perhaps Mercedes views Ocon as having uh, more intuitive ability in that area. I'd be curious to get Brad's opinion on that since he actually drives cars. I just think Bottas is lacking those final couple of tenths most of the time. I think he's really good and on his day in the right situation can be quicker than well, you can't say anyone because there's only two people driving that car, but can be quicker than Hamilton. But most of the time, he's not. And most of the time, it's the kind of gap we saw today. If Lewis is in the lead, Valtteri is going to drop off at three or four tenths per lap. And in a couple of times today, I don't know whether you guys noticed this, um, before everything started going wrong and we were in the beginning 10, 15 laps of the race, a couple of times, Bottas lost a second per lap to Lewis. Lewis just drove off. And it's just, what have Mercedes got to lose by sticking in a known, very good, hot shot young driver? In it, it's not going to be really any worse than that once he's up to was up to speed and he's got a few races under his belt. Guys, thank you very much for listening to Missed Apex Podcast and a, a big tip of the hat to my panel for hanging on in, even though we are now an hour and a half into a show that we normally aim uh, for an hour. I've decided, though, I'm going to save time by just not editing anything. So <laughs> this will be a warts and all uh, audio version. Matt and I will get back on the mics tomorrow evening later to cover some of the ground that we inevitably are going to miss here Matt uh, but there are some kind of mentioned in dispatches that we can't possibly uh, ignore Lance Stroll fourth place a lot of people are going to say come on Spanners give him his due he's amazing now he's not amazing uh, Racing Point made a really good call and he did well to execute that but I psh, I don't know. Psh, psh, I'm making that noise in lieu of saying it was a fluke, but you know, it was a bit of a fluke. Can I ask a question because I don't know on official time? Can I scoring? answer it by going? Psh. Y- yes, you can. Okay, good. 
on official timing and scoring, did he actually lead a lap because of where everybody pitted? No, or no. Or was he just in the lead for a yeah. little bit before no. Verstappen got rounded? Uh, no, he didn't officially lead a lap. However, he was Two. in the lead of the race. Yes, he was briefly. In, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can you say? In the uh, 10 laps or so, he lost He lost a spot to Kvyat, which was the podium position, and he did not drive it into a wall, and other people did. So you got to give him credit for finishing the race without accident. Rusty Hawk says his defending was great, to be honest. So let's give him some credit. Although that ultimately, I don't think that gained or lost any places. Uh, against Botas, actually, I, I think you might have to give him credit. Because, oh, well, are, are we going to blame Botas for that? I don't know. 50-50, I say. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Well, can we, Brad, can we give uh, uh, Stroll enough credit that he forced an error from Botas? I'm going to give him, that's the bit I'm going to give him credit for. Good. But the rest of the weekend qualifying well behind his teammate um, and being far enough back in the race that his team were happy to gamble on his tyre strategy near the end, which okay. fluked him a, a good result, is what I'm not going to give him credit for. Yeah, so in Q2, it's the first time we've seen Perez and Stroll in Q2 together. The gap was 0.7 seconds. Not entirely representative, Matt, because I think Stroll fluffed his second go. But even before that attempt, Carl, I'm all right there. But even before that attempt, it was like half a second. It was um, Stroll's second lap in qualifying. Well, I think he only had one lap because he used too many softs in the first session. And then his his lap was Larry. I watched it. It was absolutely awful. He was overdriving the car, okay. which he's been doing in qualifying all year. Okay. Is anyone going to say, you know, this proves that Stroll is actually a good driver and I've been wrong all along? Any, anyone? Okay. Email me, spannersready at gmail.com. More than happy to get your emails. I've been getting better at answering them. I think part of my problem is some of you send me such fantastic emails that I feel like it really deserves a long answer and like a proper answer. So I go, oh, I'll, I'll put a pin in that and I put a little star in it and I go, I'll definitely get back and give that the, the answer it deserves. I'm getting better at now, now uh, at least doing a quick reply. So at least even if I, I don't get, get to it later, I, I am getting that interaction. But I love, 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 love getting those emails. Of course, you can always join our Facebook group, Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook, or you can support us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex and come join us in the Slack group. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Matt? I'm uh, just going to say thanks to Russell Coburn for donating to our show. Thank super you. chat. People are donating in super chat. They give you the option to click it on or not in YouTube. But yeah, fantastic. That really does help us uh, keep the lights on. Me and Matt have been able to make some decisions with Missed Apex Podcast that we just would not have been able to make without your support. We, we thank you greatly. Uh, Matt, uh, any other business? What's, what's our key any other businesses that we want to cover, the rest of which we will cover tomorrow night? Um, if we're talking about things, do we want to briefly talk about Gasly's? And Gasoline Albans. Kind, kind of. I'm tempted. So just, just in brief. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to. Damn. Because it's not the one I was going to pick. But I think because Kyle is chomping at the bit. Alban showed that he is the measure of, of, um, of Gasly, even though he's in the junior car. But Kvyat's the one who finished third. So, you know, but why is Alban getting all the praise? Kyle. Um, Alban put in a great race and it was only. It wasn't just the once, it was twice that he overtook Gasly in wheel-to-wheel racing and then outfoxed him as well. I think Gasly simply drove into the back of him. So Albon, the first time driving a Formula 1 car in the wet as well. So if it wasn't for Lewis making a mistake, which wasn't caught on the cameras into turn two, if you listen to Albon's interview at the end of the race, 
that's what tripped him up on the restart and he got freight trained. Otherwise he was running fifth, sixth, the whole race on genuine pace and, and Gasly, well, Red Bull's expectations are soup and Gasly is fork. Yeah. I just wanted to <laughs> make, uh, pass on, uh, what I hammer, who I really want to pronounce edge hammer in Slack said, Engvid, about that's this. how his name's pronounced. Engvid hammer. Yeah. Um, just want to think about the fact that, uh, Kvyat there got, a. Uh, Podium in a Toro Rosso before Gasly did in a Red Bull. I mean, ouch. Yeah, bad, Brad. Uh, all I was going to say is the actual incident towards the end um, between Gasly and it was Album, wasn't it? It was those two that came together near the end. Um, I haven't seen it in detail, oh, but yeah. in my opinion, that was actually Album's fault. Gasly pulled out to make a move and Album moved out to defend when it was just too late and you basically got driven into but it was Gasly that, that came off worse. But, so that wasn't, in the, my opinion, wasn't really Gasly. If the car behind hasn't overlapped you yet, aren't you entitled to just drive all the way to block? Aren't you entitled to do that? Can't you change direction? Um, you you can, but if you if the car is coming towards you at a rate, you know, you could do that in any overtaking situation and it's going to end in a crash. You know, if, if you pull into the space the driver behind is about to occupy in the next hundredth of a second... They can't react that fast. They can't do anything. Oh, about okay, it. so it's a really um, late, a late block. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, Gasly had the momentum, and he was moving into that space, and he at no point was expecting that to suddenly be uh, the door closed on the straight like that. So I'd need to see it, all the angles and really judge it. But just from the TV angles we saw initially, it looked like it was Albon's fault there. Still very impressive. Okay, Kyle, if you had to give Gasly's seat to someone, and I think it's going to be vacated after the Hungara ring, I strongly, strongly suspect that Gasly's done at Red Bull. Who are you going to put in there? Albon or Kvyat? Kvyat experienced, but he's messed it up before. Uh, Or Albon, completely untested, raw talent. Do you know who I'd put in? Sean Agrafan. Neither of them two. Matt, tell him why he's wrong. Who? Yeah. <laughs> ah, no, um, it will. I'd probably take a punt on punt on album, album, album. Um, Kvyat, would he want to take the seat? He's been there. He knows what the pressure's like, and he's been burnt before. Would he actually want to take that seat? Now he's on the ascension, and his career is on the up again. Would yeah. he want to put himself up for it? Oh no! Wait, wait, wait! I strongly contest that his career is on the up again because he might have had a good race this this time around, but his his partner has just had a baby. He is a dad now, and he has to deal with the absolute awfulness of having a terrible, horrible baby in your house. Nothing nothing good happens, Kyle, when you have a teeny, tiny little human in your house. So why put yourself right under the nose of the nasty helmet Marco to, to abuse you when you're in the team? <laughs> I don't think he needs it. I don't think he does either. Obviously, uh, I wanted to talk about Kubica uh, getting a point. For Williams, Matt, that's that. I think that's going to be the topic we end on before the and awards because I, I don't care how it happened. I don't care whether Russell was unlucky. I, I just don't care that it was racing conditions. I don't care. Look at this story. Look at this incredible story of a man whose arm basically fell off and they kind of sort of put it back on. And then instead of just living his life and being happy that he was alive, he went, no. 
I'm going to be a Formula One driver again. I'm going to drive at insane speeds around a track. And not only that, I'm going to stick it out at the back of the grid with a terrible team. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make my dream happen. And he scored a point today. A shame it didn't happen at the end of the race. A shame we've had to see it afterwards. But wow, what a story. Well done, Kubica. Well done, Williams. Well done, Poland. Yeah, as someone who's been riding that hype train ever since it's been available, the, him coming back to the sport and scoring a point, uh, barring the Alfa Romeo appeal, is such a, I feel good about this thing. And I just have to chuck it in there that he was ahead of Russell because Russell made a mistake. It was not, it was Merritt. Kubica didn't make the mistake, Russell did. So he honestly beat his teammate in this race and yeah hats off amazing job yay formula one also the warm fuzzy feeling factor for williams that now all the teams have scored points it counts a lot for the prize money that they get for a struggling team they're struggling with funding that's exactly what they needed guys uh we've we've taken a lot of all your time and in fact our driver expert bradley philpot is going to have to depart and leave us i will just say from a technical point of view uh would you mind leaving the video call open so i don't have to move everybody's uh (laughs) shuffle around everybody's video screens but thank you for joining us where's the number one place you would send our listeners to follow your stuff oh um probably uh my youtube channel um just search for bradley philpot on youtube can i can i just chuck in before i go my awards yeah go on just so i've got mine i have to think about them but um sorry for kind of jumping the gun guys that's where we're going before you all have an opportunity um okay which one do you start with i can't even remember uh the good one we were positive first okay the good one um let's go with um the weather for being changeable and interesting and giving us an exciting race. The bad um, thing? Bad thing? Okay, the bad thing, oh, doing the first few laps behind the safety car. Come on, it's not actually that wet. We know there's going to be spray. They all know there's going to be spray. Just let them drive. Oh, God, I almost said let them race. I hate that phrase. Um, let, let them race. drive in the rain on wet tyres. It's literally fine. They all know there's going to be spray. And, and the final award, the... Pony. The pony. Hmm. Um, no pressure to have a pony. It's okay. There's only one really I can think of uh, that comes to mind. And that was Lewis Hamilton saying, uh, where did it all go wrong? And, and I have to admit, I had the same reaction as Kyle initially, which was, well, it went wrong yeah. when you went in the wall, mate. But it, I, I also believe it wasn't entirely of his doing. So, Fantastic. I mean, Thank you very much, Bradley Philpott. We will discuss your awards uh, offline when we do them. And the time we're doing them is uh, right now. An absolutely stunning German Grand Prix. A shame that this is going to be the last German Grand Prix for a while. It's a good track. It's a good track in a great Formula One country that has a great Formula One tradition. It's an incredible loss to lose the German Grand Prix off of the calendar. Moreover, though, Matt, this has been the third absolutely outstanding Formula One race in a row. And I don't want to beat this point over the head, Matt, about the people who said it was a boring race. Also, I'm lying because I really, really, really do want to beat this point over the head. After Paul Ricard, after the French Grand Prix, there was outlets that came out and said F1 is broken. F1 is boring. F1, it needs fixing. Critically, it needs fixing. And we were of the kind of general impression that, you know, maybe these outlets 
who have burst onto the scene a little more recently than, say, we've been watching Formula One, Matt, just didn't understand the trend line of Formula One, which is rubbish, rubbish, rubbish for a bit. Brilliant, amazing, brilliant, great, great race, rubbish, rubbish, most amazing race I've ever seen. Oh my God, I'm in love with F1 forever. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And that's kind of the way Formula One has always been. I would, I would challenge those outlets to now look back at what they said because certain members of certain outlets came out and said, by telling us that we need to to just suck it up, by, by telling us that if you don't like this, go and watch something else, you're being immature, naive, you're being blind, is what certain individuals said, that we were ignoring the fact that F1 was broken and it needed changing. I would challenge those outlets to just come out online and say, hey, look, our bad. We looked at the French Grand Prix, we saw all the negativity from our huge fan base, and it was upsetting us. And and if they were to come out and just say they were passionate fans of the sport and they were seeing this negativity and they wanted it to change, then that's fine. I get that. But I, th- I would love it if they would now come out and just go, hey, we got that wrong. We over-egged it. We reacted badly. And in fact, we added to the negativity when in fact this is a normal part of Formula One. It's like the roulette table, Matt. Don't pretend that you, that you don't play a bit of roulette. You know, it's... um. Even though it's 50-50 that you're going to get black or red, sometimes you get eight reds in a row. Yep, just like you get eight heads when you're flipping coins. That's just kind of math. That's the way it goes. I don't know. It, it It's interesting. And you do wonder sometimes if, if you were a fan, a casual fan, and you happen to turn on the wrong Formula One race, you'd have an entirely mistaken understanding of the sport. You think this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. And then immediately, uh, much like the Europeans in Greenland, uh, it would be boring, 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 and dead. So uh, this this is this is where I see this coming from. I, I think it's easy to get into the overly critical phase and forget that if it's done correctly by all the teams, this is never going to be as exciting as certain other classes in motorsport where they purposely m- mix things up to get results like this all of the time. Yeah, and I bet quite a lot of the people saying the sport's broken and it needs changing are probably football fans. And you've never heard anybody complain that football's broken and needs changing when it's a nil-nil draw. It's the same thing. It's it's sport. It goes in ebbs and flows. Deal with it. Don't complain. Now, no one's saying that F1 couldn't improve. And no one's saying there aren't changes that need to be made. But there's always changes that need to be made because it's a dynamic sport in which the technology and the cars and the drivers are constantly changing and they will periodically suit certain tracks and not suit certain tracks. So, yeah, we do need to change it. But you don't need to come online and tell everyone, tell hundreds of thousands of people that F1 is completely broken and it's ridiculous and it's boring. Just accept that the sport we love goes in peaks and troughs. And right now we are in an amazing peak. And when you get races like this, Hockenheim 2019 will be talked about when people are doing reviews in 10 years time. It will get referred to in the same way that Canada 2011 does or Suzuka 1993. You just got to enjoy those uh, peaks and troughs. And just remember that without the bitter, the sweet don't taste so sweet. I think it's awards time, guy. Awards times? Ah, oh, it was such a good link until I said awards times. Uh, it's time for awards. Uh, let's give out our thing of the weekend award. Matt Trumpets, who would you give your thing of the weekend? Oh, um, well, can I put up a chat room one first? Yeah. 
Uh, our friend Luke in the chat room suggests that the fact that Mercedes chose this race and this race only to appear in the Netflix show might have been the thing of the week in about another six months when that series comes out. Is that true? It's just they're just going to feature in this show. Oh, whoops. That might change. I think it's kind of awesome. And oh, there's so many things. I mean, Kubitz's point, there's so many things I could give it to. But I'm going to go for Honda double podium. Their misspelled tweet aside, what a result, what a redemption, because they had just been beaten about the head and shoulders relentlessly Yeah, by McLaren, and they've come good, and yeah, I know, they're working with Mario Illion, and everything they started to do, they've changed, but that's what Formula One does to you, and they've been smart, and they've adapted, and now they're having success. Okay, and the Honda aren't tweeting in their first language, and I think we need to remember grammar police, that perhaps, you know, everyone's on the internet isn't English and didn't grow up in a British or American school. So let's let's just chill out on that in general. Kyle, who is your thing of the weekend? I'm a bit torn with my thing of the weekend. Um, both of them are about Mercedes, but I'd probably have to go for um, Mercedes l- making themselves look human and not this slick, well-oiled machine. It, it's <laughs> nice for the sport to actually see them screw it up. Yeah. You can't give them the thing of the weekend for being bad. That's the, that's the opposite. <laughs> okay, my thing of the weekend is their amazing outfits and their attire this weekend. That's my thing of the weekend. And I think that was superb. Uh, what, you're not going to pick Carlos Sainz for being the only person to not go onto the slick tires and only needing three pit stops as a result? Okay, fine, be that way. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Kimi Raikkonen because... Whenever, I nearly said Sauber. Can we just say it's acceptable to say Sauber this season and Force India and just just forgive us for the rest of the season? We're old people, we'll probably not mind. For, for getting uh, Alfa Romeo, every time they have a chance to, to shine, every t- time they have a chance to show what they can do, it is Kimi Raikkonen that's doing it. He could easily have ended up in a wall today. He was running third at one point off the start. <laughs> no fear. Uh, it, it looks like he's really flourishing there. And uh, and he is completely showing up Giovinazzi in every way, shape, or form. Giovinazzi, who was fancied by some, uh, not just for his uh, uh, boyish good looks, but also for his racing skill. Kimi Raikkonen is is showing himself to be, you know, much much the better driver. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that he is purchasing part of that team. Although I've kind of undone my point. But he's my thing of the weekend anyway. Uh, how about the bad thing award? Oh, no, you missed the apex. Can't be all positivity, can it, Matt? Who's our bad thing awards? Badness. I think if we're going to go with badness, ah, this is so hard because there's so, uh, you know, this just hurts. It hurts me to do it. It hurts me to say it. But I'm going to go Botas. Botas for missing the apex. It, it, it was on him. And I, and I, again, as someone who performs, you understand the pressure. If someone comes to you and says, you have to go do this incredibly difficult thing. And if you make a single mistake, you lose your job and you're out of the best place you've ever been. Well, that's a lot of pressure. But yep. he chose that life and he's there now and he had his chance and it just... For whatever reason, yeah. the job did not get done. But it's cumulative. It's not just today. He's put himself yeah. in the position where he's he's under that pressure. So, yes, I'm fortunate for Bottas. He's had a good career. He is a great driver. And I'm sure he would do very well at a, a Renault or a Haas. But I think his days at Mercedes are done. 
at least at the end of the season. Kyle, who missed the apex for you? Um, I did have one in my head and now I've just forgotten it. But no, it's it's Pierre Gasly, I'm afraid. Um, and for one major point, I had a £2 bet on Verstappen to win and Gasly to get a podium. I would have won £162.50 pence if Gasly would have just put in a good performance and got on the podium. It wasn't too much to ask. He had all the opportunities and he couldn't do it. So he missed the Apex big time. I'm going to give our missed Apex award to... Go on, Matt. What, what, what are you saying, bud? Hulkenberg uh, is turning up as a popular... Oh, is it from the chat room? In the chat room, yeah. Yeah, but Hulkenberg, it's not his fault. He's made, he's made a deal with uh, someone beyond this earthly plane that says he cannot ever finish on the podium. That's that's not his fault, you know. He he made a good deal initially. He just, you know, he just he sold himself slightly short. Uh, my missed apex award goes to a person in the F1 paddock that I think is brilliant, that I wish was my cool older uncle, but I'm unhappy with oh i don't want to criticize her. mercedes follow me on twitter which is like i'm so proud of that so like please if you hear this know that i you know i i do love toto wolf i think he's brilliant i think he's been brilliant for the sport he's really generous on camera he's a great personality but i'm gonna give him the missed apex award for being really down on the result today because you've got to be i know you're meant to seem disappointed and it might have seemed weird if he was all happy and chirpy but he was so down when he's had a season car where his drivers have been really dominant, they've barely put a wheel wrong for several seasons. It's like, you, you could have just sat back and gone, it's a great race. It's one of those mega spectacular races where anything could happen. And we just ended up on the wrong side of the coin flip this time. Yeah, he could have taken it on the chin and go, well, you can't win them all. We've had a great yeah, season. But, and and even more to my annoyance, he kind of got a bit shirty about it and said, well, this is what happens when you're messing around with hoobla or whatever. Yes. No, that, the word, I think that's what really got used. me. Yeah. And, 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 and it was fantastic. Everyone was a huge fan of all the... Um, all the 50s stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the 50s attire. And then and then it's like, oh, well, we've actually tried to be fun. And that's the last time we're doing that because we didn't win. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's such a shame because Red Bull do that all the time at their home race. We don't want to lose that tradition of teams having fun at their home race. And also, you're kind of saying to your employees, I know that I know that Hamilton put it in the wall and I know the strategists left him out for too long and, and had him on worn inters instead of bringing him in. And I know Hamilton went the wrong side of the bollard and the stewards gave him a penalty and then Bottas couldn't overtake Stroll and put it in the wall. But it's your fault for those white plimpsoles and pop skirts. Look at you with your silly hats. How ridiculous are you lot? And of course, it wasn't that at all. But it's kind of like blaming their employees and saying that it was the team as a whole who made that happen. And it wasn't. It was just one of those races. So I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk the ire of, of Mercedes. I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to give Toto Wolf this award. I'm I and I do that with a heavy heart. I'm very sorry, Matt. Have we got any other ponies? Sorry about how loud the the initial thing of that was. I'll, I'll fix that in post. That I heard directly, no. But you know, I mean, Leclerc was complaining about the drag strip of doom post race, like inappropriate runoff, and and that. You know, I, I mean, I think he was trying to differentiate it, but I didn't hear that firsthand. So I don't know if it was really ponyish or just a sort of, uh, you know, having having slid across it into a wall. I think maybe they should think about how they deal with it if the race comes back here. Kind of a comment. So I'm I'm a little afraid to just chuck that out there. 
Uh, Michael Dustelhoff in uh, in the chat room has just reminded me that I wasn't going to do any post-production. So, yeah, good point. Sorry about that, everyone. Uh, you're just going to uh, already have been deafened <laughs> by my daughter uh, saying the, the Pony Award. I'm getting sleepy now, Matt, but not so sleepy that I've forgotten about this. Comment of the week. See, I've gotten my whole family into the show. Oh, no, you missed the apex. That's a little tree face. The Pony Award is Vivi, the little superstar of our family. And the comment of the week is, of course, by Mrs. Spanners, who will be entertaining us at the Missed Apex Karting at Buckmore Park on the 21st of September, doing uh, maybe reuniting the old band, doing some more stuff with Matt Trumpets. I would be delighted to uh, play a few tunes with your most excellently musical wife. She's all right, isn't she? She's not bad. Yeah. She's all right. She's quite... It's quite good. You're both into the the jazzness and the the like proper musicness. Yes, it will be fun as it was last time. I'm already looking forward to to tell you the truth. Yes, we do have some contenders. Um, we have many contenders. I will try and boil them down. Don't Bruce. try to boil them down. Boil them down. <laughs> I will try to boil them down, and then we'll see if they actually boil or not. I mean, this is this is how empirical science works. Bruce Siegel. I think suspenders will be banned in future by Mercedes. It's the only it's the only sane reaction. It was definitely the suspenders, suspenders and the yeah, the fifty yeah. stuff and those hats. What were they thinking? Yeah, it's hard to say. Suspenders hats. Let's make sure none of them ever come back into the paddock again. Um, we have two along the same lines. Hell, you know me. The rains on the German plains bring F one nothing but gains. And Justin <laughs> Pierpoint, the rain was pain and fell mainly on the Mercedes. I'll get me coat. Yeah, definitely. Do get your coat. I, I appreciate what you've done there, but Nick's not on, so you're not going to win with puns, and you're not going to win with clever turns of phrase. And then we're down to the final two. Mike Schiller, the FIA determined that Leclerc's release was bound to be unsafe anyway because Grosjean was there. <laughs> okay. Which, yeah, it, it sneaks up on you, but it's there. I, I think and, uh, we should have given an award for Grosjean for surviving that extended safety car period at the beginning of the race, to be honest. Yes, I missed out there. He had mint- Many safety cars to drive into walls, and he chose to do that none of the time. So, improvement, I don't know. Uh, and then finally, disloyal F1, making a little bit of shade at our friend Joe. Poland one, Joe zero. I'm not going to go as far as to say that Robert Kubica gaining a point disproves all of Joe's points about his relative place in the F1 landscape. However... Enjoy, enjoy the day. If you're a Robert Kubica fan and you've been wishing him well, blinking well, enjoy this day. It is incredible. You know, fantastic. I I hope he's having all the beers. And he should be after after the life that he's led. And I think ah, this is so. I think we're going to go with Mike Schiller because that's the one that made you laugh the most. And you have to remind me of that because I have no short term memory. Mike Schiller, the FIA determined that Leclerc's release was bound to be unsafe anyway because Grosjean was there. Comment of the week. Thanks very much, guys. We've gone for two hours and we've still not covered everything we wanted to cover. And that just tells you what an amazing race this was. Me and Matt will be back on the microphones for our patron-only podcast. It's not like we are using this as patron bait. It's just that we could not possibly get through all the racing points. And we do happen to do a patron-only podcast where we'll pick up a lot of the things that we didn't talk about. If you want to get the patron feed, you can subscribe to that at patreon.com forward slash Apex. 
and you'll get an RSS feed that you can add to your podcast player. And I appreciate that the people who subscribe on video would have to then pick that up on the audio. Uh, but thank you so much to everyone who's tuned in. Uh, we've been growing all year. It's been fantastic to have all your input in the live chat. So thank you to the live chat room. We'll be back here on the mic on Monday, but we'll have a regular show as well next Sunday, as that will be the Hungarian Grand Prix. Until next time, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. It's totally okay if you admit you're sleepy. I, I'm sleepy too. It's, it's 10 o'clock at night, but this is good preparation, guys, for the races that start in the evening. That This season, we are definitely going to record at like 2 in the morning. We're not going to wussy out this year, Matt. Uh, it's five, It's like 5 here, so I'm, I'm pretty wide awake. Just sweaty. <laughs> yeah, I'm sweaty too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.